grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. How much does it annoy you when somebody is being insincere? When they say something, but they either don't follow through or they never meant it in the first place. I'm guessing that you don't much care for it whenever it happens to you. Perhaps you come across this insincerity when you hear businesses promise of satisfaction guaranteed or 30-day money-back guarantee. But when you call customer service to have them come through on their promises and you spend hours on the phone being transferred from one person to another or you're on hold for who knows how long or you read the fine print that shows how those promises are all but impossible for just regular life, you wonder, were they ever sincere or did they just want my money? Or, or what about when somebody gives you a forced apology? The, 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 the student who says, I'm sorry, because their teacher is standing right there and they have no other choice except to say the words. Or a public figure when they address the crowds with tears on their face, also they can save face. Doesn't their insincerity just make everything worse? When a person or organization is being insincere, we can think that they are being hypocrites or perhaps holding to a double standard that somehow excuses them from what they said they were going to do. And we are quick to decry and to avoid such insincerity, but what if that sincerity is of a spiritual nature? Of the things that we say that we will do for our Lord and then we don't follow through. In Jesus' day, many of the religious leaders in the Jewish faith were rather insincere. Sure, they looked the part of leading God's people and even said what was expected, but they didn't often follow through as God wanted them to. And so Jesus exposes their spiritual insincerity to hopefully correct it and fix it with an insightful question about John the Baptist and his ministry and a short parable about two sons. And as Jesus does that, he also exposes our own spiritual insincerity and shows us what it truly looks like as one who does as his Father wills, whether it's Jesus himself or as we are able to do because of him. These religious leaders who came up and talked to Jesus they were representative of the highest Jewish ruling authority and based right out there at the temple complex in Jerusalem where all of Old Testament life was centered around for the Jewish faith. And as leaders of God's people, God expected them to lead his people by teaching his word and his truth and purity, to model it in their own lives and to ensure that everything was being done in accordance with Scripture. These religious leaders had also known of Jesus for going on three years now since he began publicly preaching. However, what they both claimed to teach from God's word was pretty different from each other. Jesus was teaching what the Bible actually says of forgiveness through faith in the promised one, which is Jesus himself. And these religious leaders, by and large, stressed strict and blind obedience to the law as long as it benefited them and their interests. And when they come up to Jesus in these temple courts, 
we see what their concern is about. It's not about the difference of their teaching. If that was their beef, they would have talked to Jesus years before and to iron out whatever was going to happen. No, no, their concern was to make sure Jesus did not do today what he did the previous day by cleansing the temple courts. You see, it was Passover week, and Jewish pilgrims from all over the world were coming to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, and there were sacrificial animals part of that. If you didn't bring your own animal, you could buy one right there in Jerusalem. But the problem was, the religious leaders had turned God's house of prayer to be anything but that. Between the dishonest dealing of the merchants and the sights, sounds, and smells of animals just all over the place, just waiting to be bought, it was anything but a place to worship the Lord. And the day before, what had Jesus done? He disrupted their heyday of a payday by turning over the, the money changer tables and making sure that no profits were made in the temple that day because of what had been led to access by those leaders. And what was the leader's concern? Not to get things nice and orderly in the temple, no, but to make sure Jesus didn't do it again. I mention all this to show the insincerity of these religious leaders have been building and what all led to this moment and to explain why Jesus responds the way that he does to these religious leaders. When asked on what authority he had to do all these things, he didn't just give them a straight answer. He took the opportunity to expose and hopefully correct their spiritual insincerity. And he did so by asking a question about John the Baptist. Where did his ministry come from? Was it from God and therefore should be listened to? Or was it from men? And you could just ignore it if you wanted to. As you may remember, John the Baptist was all about one thing, pointing people to Jesus. This was the promised Savior, the one they had been waiting for for so long. And whoever believes in him, their sins will be taken away. And then John also encouraged Christians that once they had that faith to then live for Jesus as his child. There are two ministries, John's and Jesus, were intertwined. That to believe one was to believe the other, and to reject one was to reject the other because they both effectively said the same thing. Jesus is the Savior. Now we get to live for him. It was about a year or two ago that John the Baptist had been beheaded by King Herod. But he was still a talking point in Jewish pop culture. And these religious leaders had already made up their mind about John as well. They said he was just from men. You could just ignore him. You didn't have to listen to him. And his ministry and all that he did was misguided at best. But if they said what they were thinking, then they were going to have a, a riot on their hands. Because the crowds all believed John to be a prophet, someone who came from God who should be listened to. But if the religious leader said that, well, then Jesus would ask them, well, why didn't you believe John? Why don't you also believe in me? It was a catch-22. So the religious leaders, rather than being sincere, they showed their insincerity again by taking the easy way out, trying to avoid the whole issue, and just saying, we don't know, when in fact they knew what the answer was. 
Jesus recognized yet again their insincerity. So he exposes it in another way against their wishes with our short but powerful parable for today, the parable of the two sons. It's a parable that probably every parent, boss, or manager could say themselves, where there's a father who had two adult children, and he told them to go work in the vineyard. The first one refused at first, but later he changed his mind and went to go work as his father willed. The second son initially agreed, said yes, but then he changed his mind and did not go work in the vineyard. When asked by the religious leaders which of the two did the father's will, they were correct, saying that it was the first one, one who actually did and worked in the vineyard as their father wanted them to do all along. Now, what is it that Jesus is teaching in this short parable? It's that true spiritual sincerity is not just lip service or good intentions, saying what is needed, but to actually go and do as our Father wills. And what is the will of our Father in heaven? Well, it's no different than what John the Baptist said so many years ago to believe in Jesus for salvation and then to live for him as a child of God. Sadly, those religious leaders were like that second son. They said that they would do whatever God asked of them and they would be truthful to the word and in fact, they were not in so many ways. But who actually was like that first son who ended up doing what was wanted by the father to believe and then to live as a thankful child? It was the crassest of sinners, tax collectors who reveled in greed, corruption, and lies, prostitutes who sold their body and sinned against God and the the bodies that God gave to them. These were the ones who, yes, rejected at first, but now had listened, come to faith, and are putting aside their sinful ways. It's with this parable that Jesus exposes those religious leaders for who they truly are. In the same token, he also exposes us for who we truly are. We know what our Father wills of us. To believe in his Son. And out of thanks for our salvation, to live for him. Yet so often we can be like that second son. Who says they'll do it, but then fails to follow through, or maybe never even meant it in the first place. Maybe we fail to follow through on that first step of just believing in Jesus. When it comes to assurance that heaven will be our home, that salvation is ours, where do we look for that assurance? Is it to Christ alone or do we look to ourselves? The good things we have done as proof of our faith, as evidence of what we have done, as somehow that is better than what Jesus did at the cross. Or do we perhaps, like so many do, we, we hedge our bets? A little belief here, a little observance there, all sorts of different religions, just in case one doesn't pull through, we have other ones to fall back on. That's the smart thing to do, right? So human reason would say. Or, or maybe we can think we have a double standard. Expecting others to live as God asks, but for ourselves, well, not so much. 
thing of the tax collectors. We know that it's wrong to misuse and for them to love money. But is it so wrong if I let my money serve me first and just give to God whatever remains afterwards? After all, I'm the one who earned my paycheck, right? It's mine to do with as I want. Or we think of those prostitutes who came to faith. Yes, it is wrong to sell your body for a living, but can't I enjoy the blessings of marriage before I'm married to somebody? As long as we both agree to it and no one gets hurt, we can do whatever we want, right? Or maybe we let the busyness of life just crowd out the things we know we should be doing. Strengthening our faith in Jesus through time spent in his word at church, Bible study, and home devotions. To love our neighbor simply out of thanks for what God has done for us, even those neighbors that are hard to love in return or do not earn it in the first place. To equip and to encourage one another to remain on the narrow path to heaven as we watch and love each other. It's not easy to follow through on our good intentions. Thinking back to that parable, the first son was the better of the two. But even he had some problems. Because he at first refused to do anything that his father asked of him. We were once like that too. When we were born into this world and our sinful nature was far more deadly than any of our cute and cuddly cheeks could ever be. At least until we were baptized in the name of the triune God and came to faith. Some of you even know what it is to live without Christ as it was an adult when you first had that faith. Or maybe you fell aside for a time and you wanted nothing to do with him. Even we who are children of God, we still sometimes refuse to live as God wants of us. To see the sinful pleasures of the world, to choose them, to indulge the cravings of our flesh, to see all that our Lord expects of us as children, and then to pick and choose what we want to fall as if we're ordering off a menu, or let gossip, or bad blood inter- affect our interactions with one another. Neither son in the parable was truly sincere. Neither of us are either. But there is one son who is. He's not the son in the parable. He's the son who spoke the parable. That's God's own son, Jesus Christ. The one who is perfectly sincere to everything his father in heaven willed and asked of him. He readily agreed to and he did as we ourselves strive to. Unlike that first son, or unlike the first son, Jesus readily agreed to do everything that his father asked of him, to be joined eternally to a body like ours, to leave the incomparable blessings of heaven so he could live here for 33 years on earth, facing the daily temptations of life, enduring the messed up world that we live in, under the perfectionist demands of God's law at all times, hanging over him to pay the price required for sins with his crucifixion on the cross and his abandonment, or being being abandoned by the Father. And then to rise from the dead and ascend again to heaven. This all Jesus willingly said, yes, I will do. And then unlike the second son, he actually did it all perfectly 
thankfully, a virgin birth, perfect life, innocent death, completed status, or accepted sacrifice, and a bodily resurrection. Jesus did what was asked of him. He was the one who was perfectly sincere. And because of his perfect sincerity and perfect track record, you and I now get to be called sons and daughters of our Lord, even when we're not as sincere as we try to be. Go back to what John the Baptist said, this is the one Jesus in whom is salvation, who can take away the sins of the world. Whoever believes in him has exactly that. And as children of God, we also get the blessings of being in his family. To be counted among his sons and daughters, to call the Father himself our own Father, as we do in the Lord's Prayer. And we get to share in everything that is involved with this family. The forgiveness of your every sin. A clean slate before the judge himself. Care and compassion from our Heavenly Father that far surpasses anything our own fathers could give us. Protection and providence as we go through this world. Guide and direction how we can live for our Lord and the eternal guarantee that heaven will be our home. That's all yours because of the one who did it all. And through that faith, you have it now. Having seen the Son who is perfectly sincere, and what is all, all our simply through faith in him, we're then encouraged to be as sincere as Jesus is, to do as our Father wills. Let's listen to what John the Baptist said because what he said about Jesus is so intertwined you can't separate the two. To put our faith in him alone, he is more than enough. No need to hedge our bets. And yes, we may do good things, but his cross far surpasses anything we could do ourselves. Let's trust in him alone because that is the starting point of everything that comes to our life as Christians. And then with this faith, let's then live for our Lord as his thankful child who readily agrees to everything our Lord asks of us as ways that we can show our thanks to him and then to actually follow through to the best of our ability so we may follow through on our good intentions. And as we model what this spiritual sincerity looks like, let's keep it all where the focus is. Not on ourselves and how we try to live for the Lord, but rather the one who makes it possible in the first place, God's own son who's perfectly sincere as his Father wills, so that we may be sons and daughters to live as our Father wills too. Amen.